Since the precursor to the Food and Drug Administration was first given regulatory authority in 1906, homeopathic products have remained largely unregulated. Today, millions of Americans spend billions of dollars on homeopathic remedies every year, and regulators are starting to take notice. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Scott Podolsky, an Associate Professor of Global Health and Social Medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Podolsky has co-authored a perspective article about the many missed opportunities to regulate homeopathic products in the United States. Dr. Podolsky, you write in your article that both the FDA and the Federal Trade Commission have sought public input on regulation of homeopathic products or their advertising in the past year. What sparked the sudden interest in these products? I think it could be understood against the backdrop of a few processes. The first is the longstanding surge in interest in evidence-based medicine broadly over the last 40 to 50 years and the need for conventional drugs to be proven efficacious via well-controlled investigations. I think there is also the simple increase in the actual usage of homeopathic products over the last several decades, as you said, over a billion dollars a year in these products at this time. I think there is an aspiration to a a rational therapeutics writ large that's expressed in this. Since the founding of homeopathy around the turn of the 19th century, Has the typical homeopathic remedy changed? Have the concepts and goals of homeopathy in general been evolving? Homeopathy has had a very complicated evolution, and an evolution very linked to the evolution of orthodox medicine at the same time. So the, the short answer is, in some ways, no, in some ways, yes. So homeopathy at the very end of the 18th century and the beginning of the 19th century, originally formulated by Samuel Hahnemann and predicated on these principles of laws of similars and the law of infinitesimals, had its, its remedies proven to work through individual provings. And this was a time when conventional medicine was using the early 19th century heroic medicine. This was extensive bloodletting and purgatives and drugs like calomel, very aggressive remedies that probably, in our opinion, would not have worked according to our current standards of drugs. And there was a real appeal of homeopathy and a real challenge to orthodox medicine. So by the 1840s, there was the Massachusetts Homeopathic Fraternity, which involved mostly graduates from Harvard Medical School at that time. There was a Massachusetts Homeopathic Medical Society at this time as well. And this is a period when orthodox medicine in the 1830s, 1840s especially, was being challenged by movements like homeopathy, like botanical medicine. And saw this as a threat. So Oliver Wendell Holmes, here at Harvard Medical School, wrote about homeopathy and its kindred delusions, really criticizing homeopathy. The AMA gets formed, the American Medical Association gets formed in 1846, in part as a circling of the wagons of the orthodox medical profession and had a clause that conventional physicians shouldn't be consulting with homeopathic physicians. When the U.S. fights in the Civil War, homeopathic doctors were not allowed as regular surgeons in the Army. But by the end of the 19th century, relations really do change, and this starts to get to your question in that there's a bit of eclecticism. So some homeopaths went against the original principles of highly diluted regimens and started incorporating some of what they called allopathic medicine, orthodox medicine, into their regimens. And some allopathic physicians would use homeopathic remedies, and there's a bit of a detente. So at this point, as far as whether homeopathy has changed, some folks said this eclecticism is wrong. This is going against Hahnemann's original principles, and there was a movement towards a pure Hahnemannian medicine, highly, highly diluted medicine, versus this more eclectic principles. And that tension has persisted to this time. By the end of the 19th century, early 20th century, as laboratory science starts to dominate conventional medicine, number one, we see better remedies within conventional medicine. So there's a bit less of a threat from homeopathy per se. And we see this becoming a laboratory medicine being an underpinning of medicine. And so homeopathy does lose much of its academic standing. In the 19th century, there have been homeopathic hospitals, homeopathic societies, homeopathic medical schools. 
And then by the early 20th century, you have the rise of laboratory science. You have the Flexner Report in 1910, which really criticizes medical schools that aren't based upon rigorous laboratory science. And most of the homeopathic schools and many conventional schools fall away during this time. And there really is, in the ensuing decades, a low point to the status of homeopathy in this country, certainly by the mid-20th century. And it really becomes increasingly taken up by lay organizations, and, and certainly in recent years combined with other types of alternative providers. And so uh, there's still these divides within homeopathic medicine between some who adhere to the original Hanumanian principles of highly, highly diluted remedies and others who incorporate aspects of that. So given that long history, why has the FDA not regulated homeopathic medicine? And if that's changing today, why is it changing? I think that regulatory history has to be understood against that backdrop of the history of homeopathy itself. So in 1906, at that time, there was a bit of a detente between homeopathy and orthodox medicine. And the real fear were the quack remedies that were being described in Collier's So you and I could come up with our own remedy, and it could contain 29% alcohol, perhaps a little bit of cocaine, a little bit of chloroform, and we could call it Stephen Scott's Magic Elixir. And these were the real scares to those who wanted to regulate. And so homeopathic remedies, which were at least felt to be safe, weren't really on the regulatory radar to the way that these real quack remedies were. And so that's where things were in 1906. By 1938, again, quack remedies were still a real concern. And when Royal Copeland, who introduced the original bill that became the basis for the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act of 1938, which first empowers the FDA to adjudicate based on drug safety, Royal Copeland was a homeopathic physician. And he incorporates within that bill that any homeopathic remedy within the homeopathic pharmacopoeia of the United States would be recognized as a drug by the FDA. And this wasn't really a power play to get the homeopathy into the center of drugs use in the United States. There were drugs that they saw as dangerous, as quackery, that might have been tried to be justified as homeopathic drugs. So it's really trying to say that if you want to be a homeopathic drug, you need to be within the HPUS, the homeopathic pharmacopoeia of the United States. And that eventually got written into that bill. And so that bill basically said that drugs listed within the United States pharmacopoeia or the national formulary or the HPUS all counted as drugs, okay? So that was a real victory for homeopathic remedies. But again, by the middle of the century, it was also felt that as homeopathy was losing adherence in academic centers, and as science itself was advancing and new drugs were coming on the market, that sort of these belief in homeopathic drugs would fall away in the crucible of science itself. And by 1962, you have the next real revolution in the FDA itself. You have the passage of the Kefauver-Harris Amendments which mandate proof of drug efficacy by well-controlled investigations, as well as drug safety, prior to new drug approval. And consequent to the Kefauver-Harris Amendments, which was 1962, you had the drug efficacy study implementation process, whereby they would retrospectively review drugs, in that case between 1938 and 1962, to see if they had met those efficacy criteria. And homeopathic drugs were felt to be such a minor part of the market that they bothered to review them at that time. Ditto by 1972, when there were books being written called The Rise and Fall of Homeopathy, and the FDA decided to do its large-scale over-the-counter review of over-the-counter conventional products, again, they said, we'll get to homeopathy at a later time. And that just hasn't happened subsequently. So I think 1962, 1966, 67, and then 1972 were opportune moments to consider homeopathic drugs. That just didn't happen because at that time, homeopathy had really fallen off the regulatory radar. But things were changing again at that time. If we ask what's changed between now and then, The 60s were likewise a time of anti-authoritarianism and certainly a rise in alternative medical movements more broadly. And I think homeopathy certainly rode that wave. And we've seen quantitatively the increasing usage of homeopathic remedies thereafter, mostly over the counter. I think on the American Institute for Homeopathy's site itself, it says that 98% of all homeopathic remedies are over the counter. 
So as you say, more and more Americans are using homeopathic remedies these days. Is the bigger concern that some of the products are going to be harmful, they're going to have harmful effects on people, or is it that people are going to use them when there are conventional drugs that have known efficacy that they ought to be using instead? I think there's a number of reasons that people care about this. And that first general approach that you bring up is for pragmatic pros and cons of these remedies being on the market, existing side by side by conventional remedies. There hasn't been a great deal of harm from homeopathic products. There has been some, right? So Zycam was certainly pulled from the market. In the public hearings that came out when the FDA made this announcement, there was a report from poison control centers, and there were about 80,000 reports of homeopathic remedies to American poison centers. Now, there's no proof that any of that caused real harm, and that also was only a small proportion of total drugs reported to these poison control centers. But not all drugs labeled as homeopathic are truly in these remarkably dilute proportions. So there is a capacity for harm to be done. I think the larger concern that people voice is about the redirection of people away from conventional remedies towards homeopathic remedies that haven't undergone the same conventional testing as conventional products. There's a whole second level of concern, which would be the regulatory concerns, right? So the FTC, when it was given the choice to discuss this, its staff created a document that said, look, we govern advertising, you govern labeling. Speaking to the FDA, the FDA governs labeling, the FTC governs advertising, but it gets a little fuzzy at the borders. And we mandate that drugs be shown to be efficacious and safe. In the case of homeopathic drugs, the FDA does not. Therefore, there's a mismatch here between our regulatory structures. And the third level would be simply to say, and this is really following the line from Oliver Wendell Holmes in the mid-19th century through people like Marsha Angel and Jerry Kassirer in their article in your journal in 1998 saying, we really need to have a rational therapeutics and a basis by which to say that something works or doesn't work. And if everything is not being adjudicated by the same criteria, then it leads to a real therapeutic relativism. So finally, the FDA and the FTC have recently asked for public input on regulation of homeopathic remedies. What do you think is going to happen? Are they actually going to do something? I don't know. The history of FDA regulation in particular has often appeared at the center of political pressure, one way or the other. And I don't know what type of pressure is being applied to the FDA from Congress, from lobbies, to make this change or not. I suspect it would be a function of that, but I really don't know the answer. Thank you, Dr. Podolsky.